0: On this episode of Hey Coach, It's Blank Podcast, we're joined by John Bishop of 1620 The Zone, the voice of Creighton basketball, and a guy who has had different media hats throughout his long career. John and I get into a conversation about why play-by-play announcers are so revered by fans, about how sports talk radio is built around personalities, but you can't sell yourself out on it, And he gives us some great stories on Danny Knee and a few other coaches that he's interacted with along the way. Hope you enjoy it. Hey Coach, it's Blank Podcast up next. Today's guest on the Hey Coach, it's Blank Podcast is none other than John Bishop. And I've already lied. I do this a lot. I tell people, uh, I'm, I'm going to focus on, on media members I haven't done a lot of outside projects with. And that's not entirely true here, as I have been uh, a co-host for, for Mr. John Bishop on 1620 The Zone. Uh, he has, I believe, come on the, the 24-7 sports podcast at times. Uh, so this one is a little bit different, but I wanted, one, I want to try to get someone from every perspective. And I have done a lot of radio, so there's not like there's not a lot of different radio people I could go to that I haven't already done shows or something with. And two, I'm always in search of stories, and I know that John is going to have plenty of those. So I am excited to have John Bishop here again on the Hey Coach It's Blank podcast. John, welcome.
1: You just admit, you wanted someone who's old someone who remembers when Nebraska football was really good and and, and wasn't like, you know, three years old when it happened. That's what you wanted. You wanted someone who's old.
0: No, you you caught me. All I'm going to do is just pull random Husker names out of a hat and you're going to tell me your immediate thoughts on them. Jarvis Redwine, go. Oh, honestly,
1: he was like, he's like in my top five favorite Husker players of all time. Well, Well, I mean, number one, the name. I mean, Jarvis Redwine, come on. That is such a great name. And then Lyle Bremser, who, for the young kids out there, he was the, the, he was the voice of the Huskers before Kent. Oh, wait, some of you don't even remember. Kent Pavelka did football, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's, he's like uh, one. I got to do the math here. One, two, three. I think he's four generations behind uh, Greg Sharp. Lyle Bremser would call him Marvelous Jarvis and it's like come on really and then there were t-shirts there were t-shirts that would be printed you know and this was back in the day before you know we had good folks like Triple B who you know can crank out new stuff every day I'm, I'm sure there's a Domingo Hermann t-shirt coming out any day now or any I don't want now. it I don't I'm either it. I, don't I don't either don't I don't either but they had t-shirts that said my favorite wine is red wine I mean, how can you lose? And then and then the coup de grace, the cherry on the top, was when – so in 1979 – I told you these were old stories. 1979, oh. Billy Sims had a long run against Nebraska for, when he was with, with Oklahoma, and he turned around and he taunted – I can't remember who the defensive back was as he was running for the end zone. So the next year in Lincoln, Jarvis takes an option pitch down the right sideline, and he's like 20 yards ahead of the nearest Oklahoma defender. And he just turns around and he just starts pointing. Go look it up on YouTube. It's awesome. Yes, I know. Oklahoma won the game. But Jarvis Redwine, definitely one of my favorite Huskers of all time.
0: Well, look at that. I just drew a random name out there. And it, it already leads to the story. I, I want to do this. Because I've had this question a bunch, and this isn't the point of the podcast. And I swear we're going to get into, into into John's Fremont history and and his upbringing and how he got into media and all of that. I swear it's coming. But again, there's only so many people that I can go to with this question and get like an actual response. And here we go. Why do we not think of Neil Smith more when we think of great Nebraska defensive linemen? His name never really comes up. Wow. It does. It's like it's somehow lost in history between sort of the Rich Glover, 1970s, early 1980s players. And then, and I I just don't know if it's because he came before the heyday of the 1990s, and you have Keneally and Perella and Wistrom and Peters and Tomich and everything like that. And then you have the 2000s, and then, of course, you have Sue and Crick. And then it really slows down after that. We don't have to to go too much (laughs) more recent. But no one ever talks about Neil Smith. Like, there had to have been someone who realized that Keelan Smith, son of Neil Smith, Neil Smith went to Nebraska and they don't even realize it because he doesn't get discussed when it's you talk a, about great players that played in Nebraska. Question. It is a great question. Um, some of it
1: was probably that he was teammates with Broderick Thomas. And because Broderick was big and bold and brash and boisterous had the big personality and had the huge personality, maybe that got buried in it a little bit. There is an element, and and I don't mean to, you know, I I, I don't want the uh, Jason Peters coming after me, but there's an element that the mid 90s Huskers erased a lot of history that happened in between the 70 71 team. And those national championship teams, because those two decades, it was just it was it was it was almost boring how consistent Nebraska was. The only thing that wasn't boring was the Oklahoma game at the end when, you know, they would you know break Nebraska's hearts in some ridiculous fashion. Um, but for the most part, it was just a big, giant, boring winning machine.
0: And there's some 14-year-old listening to this. I don't know why he's listening to it. But maybe he wants <laughs> to be in sports media. Who's like, sure, Mr. Bishop, I'd love to be bored right now. Right, but, but it is true. I mean, and I'll, I'll be the
1: first to admit it. Uh, my generation spoiled. My generation was absolutely spoiled because it it was. It was just every year you could chalk it up when the new poster came out. And it had all the Big 8 logos on it. The Big 8, that was a conference that Nebraska was in before the Big 12. I feel like I have to explain these things. But anyway, it had all the different mascots. And you literally could just put WWWWW www, all the way down to the end. And then Oklahoma. Ah, oh, crap. And then, you know, that something would happen. But that's that's the way it was. And I wonder, and again, I'm not saying this because, you know, the 90s teams get too much attention but it does seem like a lot of history was kind of glossed over in that period you know obviously we remember the turner gills we remember the mike rojers you know those types of players but neil smith as great as he was never got the same even in the moment got maybe the same level of notoriety as some of the players you know do today and some of the greats did you know before him and, and and it is it is a great question because when you if you look at the short list of great huskers to excel as professionals neil smith has to be in the top five. Oh yeah I mean, because his- nebraska for all its success it's not like nebraska has a ton of you know great nfl alums um but neil smith is right there you know with will shields um with irving fryer um you know, with Sue, um, who have had long, elongated, excellent career. So it is a really good question. And I think part of it is some of that era gets glossed over just a little bit and forgotten because, you know, it was just a big, boring winning
0: machine at that point. And that provides a great segue for why we're going to go deep into that era with John Bishop here throughout the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast. So normally how this goes, I like to dive into what made you want to be a member of the sports media. What got you involved in thinking, you know, when you're a kid, everybody wants to be on the field and they want to be an athlete, but at some point your brain transitions to all the other stuff that's out there involved with sports. And for me, it was when I realized I couldn't go four batters without hitting a, hitting a, you know, a batter. So it was about when I was 12 that I knew that sports was probably not my future in terms of professional athleticism. But I, I, I want to know, cause here's the thing you do a lot and you have done a lot in the sports media landscape. We're going to cover a lot of that ground. Did you, did you always know you wanted to be in play by play? Is that what sort of brought, is that kind of the thing that opened the door? You talked about Lyle Bremser, I'm mm-hmm. guessing that was an idol of yours when you were a kid growing up in Fremont listening to games.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I, I probably had my realization before the age of 12 that (laughs) I wasn't going to be a good athlete um, because I knew at that time, you know, I I didn't, I didn't foresee, you know, pickleball becoming a thing. Mm. I I think I really would have crushed it at pickleball um, as good as I was as a, as a wiffle ball player. uh, But I knew that there wasn't a future in wiffle ball. Um, But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a great athlete either and and a lot of it was you know listening to games as a kid because you know that's how you that's how you um consume the product you got one or two it was usually it was usually two sometimes if you were lucky three television games a year the oklahoma game was always on tv the bowl game was always on tv and then there was usually one other whether it was missouri or penn state or you know whatever um and and so you you consumed a lot of Football, uh, through radio and and it it was it it, there was just something mesmerizing about it. My parents had a record, and a lot of people from that generation probably had the same record. But it was put out by KFAB back in the seventies after they won the championship in seventy-one, and it was the highlights of the whole season. I probably I'm surprised that record survived, um, because I as many times as I used to play it, um, and so that team kind of, you know, the 71 team kind of became this, you know, this oh uh, just this 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 amazing, you know, benchmark golden idol, you know, to me. Um, because it, it that was that was the year I was born. Obviously I didn't remember any of it, but I felt like I knew everything about it because I listened to that record so often. And then you would listen to the games and I mean this was the tradition. We would we'd get up Saturday morning, we'd watch our cartoons We'd call our friends, we'd grab a football, we'd grab a radio, we would go out to the empty field over at our elementary school where I lived, and we would play football while listening to the game. And that's, that was the tradition. We did that all the time. And I just, you know, just something about it just connected with me, the emotion, the energy, the passion, and I always envisioned myself calling football games on the radio and that's really where it started um and and so from from a very young age (laughs) quick aside I do remember doing a uh, I think it was second grade and you know you do one of those you you draw a picture of yourself and then you answer these very basic questions about yourself And and then your
0: parents put it on social media for everybody to see
1: well, we didn't have social media back then. What? So thankfully, so thankfully, this did not get put on social you media. Your parents took out an ad
0: in the Fremont Tribune?
1: They did not. And I'm glad they didn't because, because there was one point where when I started watching football, I became, I don't, obsessed isn't the right word because that's a little too far. But I became enthralled with referees and how they would do the, you know, the Holding motion, yeah. or offsides or personal foul, and I used to love to mimic that. And oh, so, yeah. on this little personal profile, I drew a dumb picture of myself. And someday, I want to be a referee. That's a true that. Is, and now, knowing those of you who have listened to my broadcast know how much I can't stand bad officiating. <laughs> the irony of this all comes together. But so, from that quick, you know, one deviation of insanity. I've always wanted to be an announcer, uh, a radio announcer, um a, a sports play-by-play announcer. And that's really where it started and and it just kind of carried from there and you know I've been I've been lucky enough, you know as I watch my kids grow up, it, you know not everybody knows what they want to do from a very young age. And I and I and I feel I feel lucky that you know whatever it was, whatever magic lightning bolt it was that hit me uh, it did. And I was able to follow through on it um, because I, I know it's not that it's not always that easy. A lot of people come to their realization much later in life. And for me, it wasn't. It was something I wanted to do since I was probably eight years old.
0: So you've had the opportunity. You've called big games, big moments. You've done the play by play thing now for years So you've been on both sides of it. You've been the kid growing up that is enamored by hearing a certain voice on the radio because of what it signals. And now you are that voice for at least someone or some ones out there because you've been doing it long enough. Do you? Why is the relationship between fan and play-by-play announcer the way that it is? And what I mean by that is I think Tom Hamilton's voice is the voice of God. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel because of the connection I have to him when he calls Cleveland baseball games. Because in 2007, instead of getting MLB TV, when I was living at the dorms, I got game day audio. And it was the first time I really ever got to listen to Cleveland play baseball 162 games. And as long as I had the Internet, I was listening to Tom Hamilton. And this connection has forged that who knows how long he's going to keep doing it. But as far as I'm concerned, that's the voice of baseball. Like that's for mm-hmm. me, that's uh, the biggest thing in the baseball world is that voice. How, how do we get to this point? Like, why, why is that connection so deeply personal? Because I, I think it exudes, it you know, there are some people that feel more connected to the guy who calls the game than they do the players that are on the team and well, certainly because, the media members. And because, I, I, I'm fascinated by this relationship.
1: Well, because Tom Hamilton is a constant right I mean and 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 not every not every team and broadcaster relationship is as long as those are sure but but a lot of them are um you know for me it was obviously it was Harry Carey uh with the Cubs um for Dodger fans for decades through generations it was Vin Scully and and so on and so forth and because they were the constant especially nowadays you know uh, we we've all grown up even me as old as I am, we've all grown up in now in the era of free agency, free agency in major league sports basically started in the mid seventies and, and, and the movement of players. So while, you know, we can watch our favorite players come and go sometimes not by, you know, their choice, Mm -hmm. but by other choice, it, 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 the, the, the radio announcer is the most constant. Then the second thing, and especially with guys like Tom Hamilton, they, they sound like we would sound if they stuck a microphone in our face. Maybe not as polished. definitely not as polished. But, but, he, as polished. but, but in terms a of their excitement, bleeping. I mean, yeah. you know, the way Tom Hamilton calls a game for a Cleveland fan, and I realize it's not this way with – like Vince Scully wasn't a huge, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, homer, if you will. But it, it's kind of, but because he was the first, he kind of just started an era. It, 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 that's another thing we can, we could get way down into the weeds with this. City by city, the way that the radio voice started and has been kind of carries the baton. Chicago is a very homerific radio market, but maybe not so much in in L.A., Mm-hmm. Because of Vin Scully, it's it's based on how things started, right? Um, Pittsburgh, very homerific market, um, you know, Cleveland, um, and because of that, we are we are tuned in as Homer's fans ourselves. That draws us in, and 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 it's that excitement. It's the it's the continuity and the excitement. Because the fans are the one thing that is the constant outside of the team name. You know, Unfortunately, Cleveland, obviously that changed too, but, uh, but you know what I mean? You I do, know, yeah. we are the constant. The we're always is there. there. <laughs> yeah. We're through generations. We're always there. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. So I'm glad to still see some of that, even though, you know, radio hasn't, isn't as influential as it was when I was growing up, certainly not when my parents were growing up, but I'm glad that that is still exists out there, which is why, you know, as I call games for Creighton, even though, you know, m- the vast majority of people who are absorbing the games are watching it on TV or in the arena, um, you know, it's still connecting the radio highlight call with then the video package that comes out later from the team whether it's Husker Vision doing Greg Sharp highlights or Creighton doing my highlights or whatever. And so there's still that connection there. And so I still get people that come up to me and, you know, you know, appreciate the calls that I have because we are an extension of the fan. We literally are. We are the baton that gets passed between the fan passion to the players. We're that conduit. And, and I think that's, that's where it all comes from. So people like yourself it comes through Tom Hamilton you know it comes through um you know for me it, it you know it it went through you know Harry Carey or Lyle Bremser or Kent Pavelka and it just that that it's that it's that flow that that makes it all possible and it's uh and, and I I think it's one of the most exciting things and it was honestly one of the things that drew me into wanting to do it I wanted I knew I couldn't affect Nebraska winning by my athleticism but I could be the connection between the mm-hmm. fan and the program and that was my dream
0: so before and I have a million questions so I'm very excited to dive into all of that but I do want to get into some more background so you're growing mm-hmm. up in Fremont you when did you you kind of know that you wanted to go to Nebraska for for sort of broadcast journalism right like that's what your degree is I, in?
1: yeah yeah I mean, yeah from, from the journalism school I mean that, that kind of coincided right? Because then you start to formulate a plan. Well, how do you become a radio announcer? All this other stuff. And my mom, who was an educator herself, um, you know, I had it in my head from an early age. Well, you go to college, you know, and well, where's the better, where's the best place to go to college? Well, I've got to go to Nebraska, right? Because that's where the football team is. And so it just kind of made sense. Um, I was actually a JUCO transfer because um, I didn't, I I. I I didn't get my transcripts in in time for UNL when I was in high school because I wasn't very aggressive with that. So I ended up actually starting, I went two years to Northeast Community College up in Norfolk. Okay. um, Which actually turned out to be, I think, a good thing because you got your hands dirty right away. I mean, I was doing radio Radio shifts and TV stuff. Yeah, they had a great program up there. Um, And I did volleyball matches. I did basketball games on their little cable access channel and all that other stuff if i would have come to nebraska usually it took you a couple of years before you got a chance to do that it's probably changed now um but you know you you probably you know when when you first started at unl you you took all your your you know your your requirement classes and you were like at the bottom of the ladder well by the time i transferred into unl i had done more stuff than the people who were at the same you know grade level as I had. So I felt like I had jumped right in. So it actually turned out to be pretty fortunate.
0: So Um, one of the, one of the things I don't think people understand about the, the play by play, or maybe they don't appreciate enough. And I know I didn't until watching some of you guys that have to do it. How much prep time do you have to put in for just, you know, you obviously, you know, the whole Creighton side of it, yeah? but that opposing team, it's everything from name pronunciation to trying to find some factoids that you can drop in when there's moments where the air needs to be filled, like how much prep would you say you do for the average Creighton basketball game? Uh,
1: it's i gosh, I wish I, I, I should put a clock to it. Um, because like, for example, I've got my, this is my prep book and I've got all my college world series stuff mm-hmm. in there. There's LSU. Congratulations. <laughs> um, it, it, you're right. I mean, the, you know, with Creighton, it's just updating stats and things like that. But with the other teams, you know, you are, you're going through and you're getting little tidbits. That said, I probably use 10% of of the stuff that I prep for um, in an actual broadcast. But I've always looked at prepping as studying for a test. You study the the curriculum or whatever it is you were taught that semester, but you're probably only test on. 10 percent of it right you don't answer every question about everything you learned in history for example and but it through the prep process it's creating that that knowledge there are actually services out there that will do your prep for you and i can't imagine how any broadcaster could have someone do their notes their prep sheets for them because you're not doing it's like someone studying for the test for you right you have to take the test right so i i mean it's there's a lot of hours i mean for example like on the college world series it's a little different because you have eight teams most of which you haven't seen before you know i i took an entire week to to prep for those eight teams um and if you actually count some of the stuff the pre-prep that i'd done before that you know several several more days ahead of that Um, But for just like a Creighton game, you know, if you're just prepping for one team, you know, you're you're spending, I I bet, I bet you're probably spending, you know, five, six, seven hours um, for one game for a two hour broadcast. I heard somewhere there was a, and, and I don't necessarily know if this is true, because, you know, Josh and I, we do our day to day show. But someone said that you should do four times as much prep as the show that you're actually doing. Well, that would mean for my four hour radio show, that would mean a (laughs) sixteen hour prep. (laughs) But but if you if you count just stuff that you read on the side, or you're watching podcasts like the twenty four seven podcasts that we listen to. You know, we listen to you guys. We listen to you know the people at the World Herald or or other things or whatever. What other others. You know, whatever games I'm watching, that technically all counts as prep, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it, I'm sorry to go long on this one, but no. there's, there is a lot of work that, that goes into it. And, and that's probably one of the reasons I like being a team announcer versus being like a network announcer, um, which I am for the College World Series, is I've got most of the prep done already because I cover one half, one, of, it's one half yep. of it's kind of in the bag. It's yep. just focusing on the other team uh, that you have to do.
0: So jumping around again, let's go back to, you know, you're out of college. You started, when did you start working for the, uh, the Husker Sports Network? Or I mean, it whatever was, it, was, it would it, have been called at that time.
1: Yeah, it was, it was the Nebraska Football Network. Uh, it was KFAB. And it was, it was when I was still in school because I got an internship while I was still in college with the Nebraska Football Network, which led me to two places. One, I would go to KFAB on Saturday. So while the whole world is driving to Lincoln, I'm driving to Omaha. And and I would be in the background, you know, cutting up highlights, writing scripts, gathering scores for the people in the studio. But then I would also intern at KLIN, by answering phones for the nightly call-in show and, you know, doing some of the little tiny grunt work. And then literally from there, I got a part-time job at KLIN and, you know, yada, 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 you know, 25 years later, I was still working there, not quite 25 years, but, but that's, that's really how it started. I got an internship and and it turned out to be one of the greatest breaks ever. Um, because even though I wasn't getting paid, I was, I was, I literally got my foot in the door and that's how I got to meet Kent for the first time. And that's how I got to meet Gary Saddlemeyer and Jim Rose and, you know, and, and then get to go and, you know, go to the press conferences mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And, and so that's, that's really how I got my foot in the door. I, I was, I was an intern right away. It's kind of similar to a lot of kids nowadays who are on the Husker vision staff, you know, Husker vision was in its Very, very, very early, you know, embryonic stages when I was in college uh, because the new big screens came in, what was it, the 93 season, I think it was, was when the big screens went in. So that's kind of essentially when Husker Vision was born. But a lot of people today, you know, they get their foot in the door because they're running a camera and they're running mics or whatever for Husker Vision. For me, it was, I was doing intern for the radio network.
0: I want the listeners to pardon my ignorance here, but my brain has always told me, that Sports Nightly was sort of the first real Nebraska sports talk show in the state. I'm sure there was probably segments of other shows that spent time on sports, but like this was sort of the place that you could go to hear someone talk about sports and just Nebraska sports. Yeah, uh, for for a couple hours a night and. He- I remember listening to it when I was in high school. I remember my brother when he got his car driving around, we would be listening to it. I when did that really start? And were were you around for that? I believe oh, yeah. that you were you were involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was in fact that was again perfect timing. It was the very first year because 1993 was the first year of the when KLIN was a member of the network. So you know like I said in my internship one of the tasks I had was to go to KLIN and answer the phones I was the guy answering the phones the first night that that show went on the air Um, and it was called Sports Day Mid-America at that time but it was the first statewide sports show there were some there Gary Java did some uh, local sports in Omaha for a couple of hours a day Um, but but the first statewide sports call-in show was that show sports day mid-america which eventually became sports nightly um and and you know it so it started it would have been labor day 1993 i know this because i was there i was supposed to be in iowa going with my friends to go see the iowa cubs on bob feller ted williams night (laughs) so i missed an opportunity to see ted williams in person So I could start my broad, basically start my professional broadcasting career. Um, And I'll always remember that because I was, I was kind of pissed. I was like, oh man, I want to, I wanted to see Ted Williams, you know, but anyway. um, So yeah, that's when it started and it was two hours a night. And, uh, and I thought, you know, everything that branched off from there, because it was, it was not only, it was not only a sports show, but it was very Husker centric. Yeah, because you know that was the that was the team of the t- that is the team um and and while it's gone through a lot of changes over the years um it's always kind of maintained that Husker centric side of it but I was always proud of the fact that we covered a lot of stuff I mean you know we had great guests on from uh, around the world of college football from professional sports and um and, and it and it was it was fun because it was unique. Nowadays, you know, everyone has a sports talk show, whether right, it's on the yeah. radio or on podcasts or, you know, YouTube, wherever. Um, but back then, that was it. And so it became like it was for you and, and, and for a lot of other people. It became must listen because it was the one place you knew you could go to every day to find out, all right, what did I miss today? Who was hurt at practice or, you know, what's the biggest story or what's happening? And, and of course, all of that synced up with the greatest run in Nebraska football history, starting in 1993. And it just, it was, it was, you know, a perfect storm.
0: So did you know at the time, like sports nightly is going on, you're an intern there. Did you, could you ever have envisioned that there would be a day in which you would have your own four hour sports radio show at that point? Was that, was that. Did that had, had that come into the picture as something that you would have wanted to do to host that show, to be more involved with that side of it? Or were at the time, were you still thinking, I want to find an opportunity to be a play-by-play guy?
1: Somewhere? Yeah, it was more of the play-by-play thing. Um, and the sports talk show was just kind of something you did, you know, because there wasn't a game every night um and so yeah for me it was I, I I always kind of wanted to be on the play-by-play side of things I enjoyed working on the on the talk show for sure for sure and and eventually hosted that show for a year or two um down the road um but yeah my my always focus was always to kind of lean towards the play-by-play side so you know I that's why I did a lot of high school football and basketball on KLIN then and then was lucky enough to get to do the state tournaments on TV for a few years, uh, you know, and then eventually got got around to being able to do, you know, Nebraska baseball and filled in on a few basketball broadcasts um, during my time at KLIN when when I was still affiliated with the network. So, yeah, it was, uh, um, I, I you know, I'd like to say I think, I could see a day where, you know, you know, there was so much sports talk radio on the air. I, but I didn't, um, it was a growing field certainly. Um, but I had no idea it was going to turn into what it did. And, and to this day, I didn't, I didn't see the internet becoming what it became. And now literally, as we're talking via the internet, it's every
0: podcast
1: for a podcast. What's that? What's a podcast. It sounds like something that, you know, a droid gets into in Star Wars. Oh, we got to get into the escape podcast. I don't know. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent
0: tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package.
1: So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information
0: this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Oh, oh, oh,
1: O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh,
0: oh, O'Reilly. Auto Parts. So, I, have you had... I, I've had this moment a couple times in my, in my professional career Have you been sitting there, you're about to call a game, and you just sort of look around, and you're just like, how did I end up here? And you're just really appreciative because there's this big game of big magnitude or whatever it is, and you get to be there. You're like front and center, especially in your profession. You're front and center. I mean, you just got to call an Elite Eight game for the first time in your career. Uh, you know, precipice of, of being right there for the final four, which I have to imagine is something that you want desperately, both just because of your affiliation with Creighton, but also the opportunity to call that would would be, I assume, enormous. Can, can you think, is there like a specific game you can think of where before it starts, you know, whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever, you just kind of like hit you like, man, I am fortunate to be here at this time right now.
1: Well, that, that elite gate game, certainly I remember looking around there in, in Louisville and, you know, trying not to get too far ahead of myself, dreaming of man next week at this time, I could be sitting, you know, in, in Houston, you know, in a, in a football stadium calling a basketball game, but you do, you, you look around and you do wonder, especially with, with me and my affiliation with Creighton, I think, man if you would have told me at 10 years old, I'd be doing Creighton basketball, I would have been like, what What are you talking about? That, that, that wouldn't have made a lot of sense, but, and it does, it does allow you at times to kind of reflect back and go, man, look at the weird path that everything took for me to get here. But yeah, it has happened. And I, and I try to do that. I try to, I try to remind myself, you know, when you walk in, like the first time I walked into Madison square garden, and we did a, you know, it was yeah, it was a Big East quarterfinal game against DePaul, which you know isn't, uh, you know, it, it, on the surface doesn't sound that exciting, right? But I I just remember being there and looking up and but it's going, Madison man, this is Madison Square Garden. This is Madison Square Garden, right. you know, this is where the Hulkster wrestled, man. This is where <laughs> this is where Patrick Ewing played. This is, you know, I I watched the Stanley Cup final in this building. I've heard so much about Madison Square Garden, you know, and. And And that was one of those moments where you're like, "How did I end up in Madison Square Garden?" And, and so I, I try to do that as, as much as I can, even at my advanced age, because you know you, I, I think it helps keep you grounded a little bit um, and, and appreciative of where you've been. And, and I think that's healthy for all of us, no matter. you don't have to be a play-by-play announcer to do this. You could be a writer, you could you know be a, a photog, whatever. And, and and you you get to, we get to do this, right? And I'm sure it's the same for you, Shave. I mean, my dad told me from a very early age, because my dad did not get to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he worked a blue collar job for all his life. And and I just remember the words of just find something you want to do that you love. and And I was lucky because I knew what it was. And I was fortunate enough to be able to pursue it. Um, And not have anything, you know, you know, derail me too far off of that path. And, and so yeah, to be able to look around and to appreciate not only why I'm here, but how I got here. And I think that's important for all of us, because I think it, 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 I think it helps us all do a better job, right? Because you've been through it, I've been through it, it gets to be a grind, Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh, God, another game. But if you remember, you know, why it is you're here, I think it helps you appreciate the job a little bit more. And you don't have as many of those moments of this job feeling like a grind.
0: Yeah. One of the things that probably has to help with that, though, because it is a game, anything can possibly happen. I mean, that is that is a one great thing about sports. I mean, there's many great things, but one of the great things about game coverage, why I always think it's really important to, to be there. Is that there could be a moment that you will see that you never see again? What you know, I'm sure you have examples of this. Like when when's the most recent time you've just been like sort of shocked by what you witnessed, as you have to call it? You know, like you're you're in the middle of having to explain this thing, but inside your head is just going bananas, or are you able to shut all of that out and just be able to singularly focus? on being as effective of a communicator as you possibly can. Well, I actually that's Shade, sort of a fascinating thing that I have to think about now. Yeah. No, I couldn't do your job. I can't. I don't have the ability to turn my brain off and focus, lock in on the action. I'd be too busy trying to work in a side story in the middle of whatever's <laughs> going
1: on. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean I'll I'll go back to last um last Thursday. I got a chance to witness maybe the best college baseball game that
0: game I've, was incredible
1: that I've ever seen um, with LSU and Wake Forest because you had a world class pitching matchup, two guys that will probably be pitching in the major leagues in the next five or six years, and and I remember and Mike Farron was doing the game with me at one point, and I don't know if you do this. I'm, I'm sure there are listeners that do. You, you have that nervous twitch where you just your your leg. You're sitting down, but your leg is bouncing up and down.
0: Oh yeah, the the jackhammering.
1: Yes. Yeah. And at one doing moment, right now, at one yeah, at one moment, Mike or uh, Mike, uh, not you're Mike Schaefer, Mike Farron During a break, said, "My leg, I, I, I can't control my leg right now." And I looked down. And I was doing the exact same thing because we were so caught up in it because it was so thrilling because we knew at some point this game is going to end, but how is it going to end? And and you know we've already been treated to this classic matchup and a you know a, a pitcher's duel for the ages. And, and and you know you're 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 just going through the motions and and, and i it was a, it was a combination of nervous being nervous and nervous energy because you were energized by the game but then i was thinking oh man something big's going to happen i don't want to blow this call because and i i had said earlier in the broadcast i thought a home run was going to win the game and then voila it happens and you know uh And, 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 and and you just, you're like, so you're, you're trying to, you're trying to encapsulate all the emotion. You're trying to control your own emotions, but you're also trying to be laser focused because you don't want to blow a call because this is the penultimate moment. This is the moment. This is going to happen at some point. It, you know, it could happen in a flash where a ball gets hit and the game ends. And, and so yeah, I mean it literally just recently happened and those those are the moments that you just you live for. Even though I didn't give two darns who won that game, um I I was like as locked in as I think I've ever been on a broadcast because it felt like an enormous moment.
0: Do you have a uh, do you have a favorite call of yours that you remember? I I real quickly I'll tell you For me, having listened to you, oftentimes when I'm listening, it's because I'm driving into Omaha and I'm going to take your spot on 1620. (laughs) This tends to happen during the Big East tournament. Yeah. And I will never forget this. There's a game between Providence and Creighton. I don't know what round. I'm pretty sure it's at Madison Square Garden. And both teams are just shooting free throws at an alarmingly bad rate. And your comment on this, and it it still cracks me up to this day, because I can hear it perfectly in your voice, is, God help us if it comes down to free throws. (laughs) I'm just driving along. I'm, like, somewhere past, like, 144th and between Giles. Like, I can distinctly remember hearing it. And then just sort of like slapping the, the <laughs> steering wheel, because like I could just hear the angst and nervousness in your voice of that, but also just like sort of the, the almost the bitterness that comes with being a sports fan of like yes. the free throws. Just make the damn free throws. Yes. <laughs> and I I loved it because I thought it perfectly encapsulated you and encapsulated this weird game that was going on. But I'm curious, do you have in the the many, many, many calls across all the different sports, is there a, you know, not necessarily even a moment, but is there a call where you're like, oh, I nailed that, or I really liked how that sounded? Man. um... I know it's tough to put you on the spot for like just one of these. And the sad thing is if I had any production value at all, I'd go find the call and then put it into the I mean, show, but I don't, and no one will get to hear it unless I mean, there, they find it on YouTube.
1: There's certainly a few. I don't know if, you know, it's like picking your favorite child. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily <laughs> a favorite. But, but I mean, like when Doug McDermott got his 3,000th point, mm-hmm. um, that one I, I felt pretty pretty proud of. Um, I mean, Doug gave us a lot of great moments in, you know, 2013, 2014. Um, but uh, one of my favorite games, and, you know, this one... This one, um, I I was more spastic than anything else, but Creighton Baseball beat Missouri State once in a Valley Tournament semifinal. It was a extra inning game, and it was won on a wild pitch, you know, a wild pitch with a runner at third base. And I just was screaming like a, you know, an absolute moron. But there was a lot of, it it was a very long week and we were like drinking way too many energy drinks that week to stay awake. And I was still shuttling back and forth between, you know, doing a morning show in Lincoln and then calling baseball games at night. So I was like, I was on the, I was on the last edge of my nerve, but that was a, that was a rather memorable moment. Um, Gosh. I mean there, there there's there's probably been a few. I mean, you know, the moment like you remember. I didn't even remember saying that, but I'm I'm glad you remembered it. But, you know, there are some of those moments where you get frustrated and you're just like, you know, you're you're off the cuff. You're at your wit's end yeah. and there was a call, it was also a Providence game and I think it was on New Year's Eve. We were in Providence. And Christian Bishop um no relation <laughs> had a, had a blocked shot. And and that was a place, you, it was hard to win at Dunkin' Donuts Center. And he blocked this shot, you know, midway through the second half of the game. And it was just a gorgeous, you know, perfectly timed, just sent it into the third row type shot. And I made the, I, I just got really excited and I made the the comment, you know, I can't mimic it perfectly, but basically it was to the point of Christian Bishop just, you know, rejected that shot like me on prom night. and my partner just started cracking up on the air. And so I had to like talk, you know, I had to walk through it, (laughs) but you know, those, those, those little moments where you're either poke fun at yourself or you say something just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I could go back, you know, especially that year with Doug and you know, when Ethan Rogge was hitting, you know, 35 foot threes and we're just screaming our heads off. Um, There's a call where Rogge had a series of threes against Xavier where they like happened in rapid fire succession. And it seemed like each one was further and further back. And by the time we got to the third one, instead of, you know, just saying the basket's good or yes, sir, or whatever I used to punctuate, it was just, you know, here's Roggy, he's feeling it. And we just start screaming at the same time. It was just like, perfect. It was like synchronized screaming. You're like,
0: oh, you
1: know, those kind of dumb moments Mm -hmm. that, you know, that kind of, you know, that bring a lot of fans in those are probably some of my favorites
0: so i last thing with the play-by-play then we'll dive into a little sports talk and then we'll finish with uh some some awkward coach interactions because i think that's going to be the highlight of this podcast (laughs) for for people uh last thing on the on the the play-by-play so the post-game interview i always find to be somewhat of a fascinating thing because it, it almost feels more like it is a a production like you're trying to trying to get a few things out of a coach and depending on how the game goes you're either dealing with someone who's pretty happy frustrated that his team won but they played poorly frustrated that his team played poorly and they lost or just outright angry and how like how much of a sense do you have to have of what coach McDermott you're gonna get or which you know if you're doing the sidelines for for baseball you know the CWS like how they're gonna be like how do you how do you sort of approach that, or have you done so many of them that it's almost just second nature? For
1: well, yeah, like with the CWS ones, you never know what to expect because you probably don't know the person. With, right. With Coach Mac, I mean, I I know I kind of know what to expect, and and I'm lucky that he is, he's usually pretty even keel, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, you know it's not like interviewing a Danny Knee or. You know, oh, someone or, or or a Jim Beheim
0: or you someone. Tell me, there's some Danny Nee stories somewhere in your. There is. there You're is. Like, oh yeah. There is.
1: Um. But uh, you know, so so it helps when you know the the, the person. It, it's weird sometimes because sometimes with Coach Mack, you get more out of him after a loss than you do after a win. Sure. Um, and I'm I'm guessing it it might be that way with some a lot of a lot of other coaches too. Because I think some of it is them trying to process. Now, when we interview Mac on our radio, he's already done press in the back. So in some cases, he's probably answered the same questions um, that I'm asking. So he's kind of had practice at it. Sometimes, you know, depending on the network, uh, you get the coach before they go to the back. So you get get them, you know, raw uh, right away after the first thing. So, yeah, it's... Obviously, and I think most of them are pretty professional, right? I mean, you know, it's not you're not always going to get a a Bob Knight who's, you know, just going to berate you for asking a dumb question. That said, I'm trying to be careful not to ask a dumb question or ask it in a way that's not going to set somebody off, especially if if, if the loss happened in a particularly painful way. I'm fortunate when I do the college world series, if I'm always talking to the winning guys. So, <laughs> so that's easy. That's pretty easy.
0: Hey, but, you know
1: what? but um, yeah, it, it, you know, knowing the subject or knowing the person that you're talking to always helps in that situation. And then, yeah, you know, you, you know, you just kind of have this sense of when you have to soft pedal it or when you can joke around a little bit, or when you can, you know, be critical and listen you still have a job even as the hometown announcer you still have a job especially if there was a a, a questionable decision whether it's you know a certain player that was in the game that maybe shouldn't have been or a play call or whatever that you do have to do your job and ask the question um and and you just have to ask it and then you know be prepared for whatever slings or you know glares or you know snarky answers that you might get because You still have a responsibility to your audience because listen, as as much as we can talk about the good times and about, you know, being the conduit between the fan and the team, there are times where the team pisses you off and you're angry too. And you, you know, you want to know, Hey, why was, you know, Johnny, what's his face in the game when it should have been, you know, Jerry, what's his bucket. Um, And you got to ask, you got to ask that question. So, you know, you just, you just kind of press through.
0: So in addition to all of the play-by-play stuff that John Bishop does, he also has a daily four-hour radio show with Josh Peterson uh, that you guys have been doing now for 10, Ten 11, yeah. 10, yeah. 11 years?
1: Yeah, let's see. Josh, well, I mean, Josh was there as the producer from day one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're almost at 10 years together, which yeah. is crazy.
0: So you've been you've been doing four hours of radio in this state during some of the worst stretch of football imaginable. What is it that people don't know or maybe don't understand about doing four hours of sports talk radio a day? Like what? Give us some uh, behind the scenes, what that's sort of like, because for a lot of people, I think they just think you can just show up, turn the microphone on and talk in in that four hour stretch. But there's a lot of extra stuff that sort of goes into all of it and then you kind of have to cultivate and create the brand of how your show is going to be perceived and received. Yeah, no, you're right.
1: And and it's and it I it's tougher today because there's more competition, right? Um and so more it's always been important, but it's more important today than ever that your personality has to be the star because that's why people are coming to you. They're not necessarily coming to you for your takes. Mm -hmm. because they can get takes that are similar anywhere else they're coming to you for you and so you develop that that bond with your audience that you know this is why I come to you I come to you every day because I'm curious what you think I try not to especially in football season I try not to listen to a lot of other stuff because I don't want my my opinion or my outlook to be affected by anything that i Mm -hmm. heard because i'm a i'm a consumer as much as i am a producer i'm the same way i don't
0: read a lot of other stuff because i don't want to formulate right and i I don't want a jumbled thing
1: right and if it just so happens that what it is i say or what it is you write may have may sound similar Mm -hmm. or read similar to somebody else well that's by coincidence not because i had heard it or, or had parroted it from somebody else. So I try, especially in football season, because it is the most concentrated time of year. But the, you know, a, a lot of it is for me, I think the challenge is to say a lot of the same things and not get bored with it because you're doing four hours and it's not like, I mean, I wish that every audience member we had listened from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. straight mm-hmm. through, but they don't. They're popping in and out. And so coming up with new ways to say the same thing, even though to the audience person, it's fresh to them because it's the only time they hear it for you, it's probably the third time or fifth time that you've said it. And so that can be a challenge at times, especially when you're, you know, talking about the same game, right? You know, the Mondays after a game, you've got all these takes you want to spit out, but Ultimately, you know, you have to you have to go back and cover the same ground you've already covered because your audience is flipped several times. Right. The guy who's listening at two o'clock isn't the same guy who's listening at four o'clock. And so a lot of that's probably one of the things that's that's the most challenging. Um, And I don't know. I don't know necessarily how well we do it sometimes, because sometimes I feel like when I once I've covered, you know, that play in the third quarter or whatever it is i'm done with it i'm done with i'm on with it even though somebody else at five o'clock hasn't heard your take on you know why scott frost you know kicked the onside um and and you get so you have to you do have to combat not being bored not beat not bore yourself and still present a subject that for the audience at the time is new to them or at least they want to hear your thoughts on it
0: do you have to balance the idea of saying something for the sake of being both informative and entertaining with not giving away exactly how you, your, your personality. so I guess what I'm very botched question, and I'm going to start over on it, but how do you keep yourself from becoming a character? I guess is sort of what it is, yeah. you know, because that's when I, especially with, with ESPN talking head shows, A lot of times I don't believe that these individuals actually think or believe what they're saying. I think that they're playing to a specific narrative or an angle that they know draw in attention. I don't think that's as common when it's local sports talk radio, but I still think you kind of can get that sometimes. And I know I've certainly been in situations where I've had to think, okay, how do I want to respond to this so I make sure I'm not coming off disingenuous? Do you have to guard against that?
1: It's a great question because, and it's one of the things that does annoy me. Uh, and 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 honestly, I don't. I I the only time I see Stephen A. Smith clips or Skip Bayless clips,
0: I like that you knew exactly the people that I was going at. It's almost right. as if I thought the, about this and you. The have only
1: too. time I see those clips is on social media. Yep. I same. don't watch those shows. I I I don't I don't care for those they shows. They make me do- mad.
0: They well don't i I think real sports talk or real discussion in any form
1: well it, because a lot of it is the theater and i'm I know there are people, and I'm sure there are people that have commented on the message boards in other words that that see Josh and I as the exact same kinds of characters as a skip Bayless, you know that you know we're we're not being' you are genuine. not I
0: feel strongly that you're not but but
1: and that's one of the things at least and I can't speak for everybody but It's one of the things I'm most proud of with what we do on our show is we are being genuine to ourselves. Yes, there are times where we are, you know, being maybe over the top a little bit. I'll give you one. I'll be one little example. We got this ongoing bit about Otani. You know, Josh wants to go on and on about he's the goat. And I like to downplay it because you know because uh, i think it's too soon to talk about you know greatest of all time when the guys never even pitched in a playoff game
0: before well you uh, can't control the team that you're on
1: uh, exactly but i mean but so some of that stuff can get played up but when it comes to especially when you drill down here locally because that's what the people are coming to us because we talk about the local stuff we talk about the huskers we talk about the blue jays we talk about college world series whatever um i try not to do that with you know the the local stuff because i know people want a genuine opinion they want a genuine feeling i if anything sometimes i have to dial back what i really want to say because again like a lot of the listeners i am a fan too Mm -hmm. i guarantee you the person you hear on the radio there are elements of the person that's sitting in this chair, watching the game on TV that you'll hear Monday through Friday or on the Saturday post game show, but you won't hear all of it. Yep. A because I'd get thrown off the air for, you know, FCC violations. And B there's probably some things that I would say would get me into trouble. Yep. Um, it, 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 because I'm a fan and you know, I see things and I react like a fan. and And so I do have to kind of dial that back a little bit but I want to be as genuine as possible. Um, I want people to know I don't take, if if I'm doing a devil's advocate opinion, I'll make it clear I'm I'm arguing the devil's advocate mm-hmm. opinion. But I agree with you. I think there are times where somebody will take a side of an issue just to create a debate so that they can get a viral moment that gets spread out over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, um, so that it'll get people to watch the show. I don't, I don't like doing that because most of the time I don't like arguing devil's advocate because I don't feel it. No. I, it's, it's not my opinion. I like to argue my opinion. So there, yes, there may be times where, and there are a lot of them where Josh and I are on the same exact, you know, wavelength. Is it more fun when there's a debate going on and you totally disagree? Of course. But, I want those moments to be genuine. I don't want those moments to be fake because Josh thought this and I happen to feel the exact same way, but because we have to do it for the takes, I have to argue the other side. I don't want to do
0: that because I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I completely understand that. And uh, I, I think that's a big part of sort of sussing through the stuff that I like and the stuff that I'm willing to listen to and and all of it. All right, let's finish up with this. And I appreciate all your time. We're going to run a little bit longer here, but if you're, if you're good with it, yep. I know you've got to have at least a few of these. So far we've had Jack Mitchell and Sam McEwen tell stories about Mike Eckler and awkward, awkward exchanges with the former Kansas state linebacker turned Nebraska assistant coach. So I would love to know, do you have any off the top of your head, awkward exchanges with any of the Nebraska football coaches throughout the years, you've been over there a bunch. You don't, you're not over there as much now. Not as I used to be. No, you, you certainly were over there during the Callahan era. You were over there during early bow. You were there during Frank and during Tom. Do you have any sort of just like funny, awkward exchanges that you can think of? Well, um,
1: one of the things that come to mind first is so if you go back to two thousand four, Callahan year one, you had the Oklahoma game where, you know, you run Steve Creewald on a football on a on a fullback trap and then call a timeout to kick a field goal to avoid being shut out. Mm-hmm. Um that, of course, was also the Darren Delone uh, guns and fruit game, where Darren Delone, they're you know, they're running the drills pre game and he goes plastering into one of the roughnecks and drives oh, yeah, him into the yep. wall and and that became a whole thing. And, of course, that led to the, that led to the Bill Callahan on the Big 12 teleconference talking about gun, shooting guns and throwing fruit at our players. Uh, you know. Well, so he had the coaches show that week, you know, how they rotate through all the assistant coaches on the weekly on Sports Nightly. And this is back when I was hosting Sports Nightly. So he happened to be the coach after that game. That game also took place right before the state football finals. So the state football finals are going on. We're doing the show in Memorial Stadium, overlooking the field. We're on the club level. And and there's all these NSAA and, you know, high school fans who are on the club level. And Callahan's got to go up the elevator through this crowd of people to come to the studio, which was in a separate room down the hall. And you know, I do the first hour of the show and then Callahan's supposed to show up at seven o'clock to do the hour. And I'm looking at my watch and it's seven o'clock. There's no Bill Callahan. At 7.01, there's no Bill Callahan. You know, we're in our commercial break. You know, we're getting ready to start at 7.04. 7.04 or 7.03.30 and the door finally opens. And this, and this short guy walks in and I am this close to going um excuse me sir we're doing a radio show you need to get because i thought it was a fan i thought it was just some guy who just ambled in no it was bill callahan dressed in non-husker colors he was wearing very just generic plain clothes and had his hat
0: over
1: over his eyes because he did not want to be spotted coming off the elevator through this crowd of people (laughs) and so he and i was i like i said i was this close to say, uh, sir, we're about to go on the air. You need to get out of here. And then I realized, oh, it's Bill. Um, that was an interesting exchange. Um, my favorites are, though, when we used to do the Danny Nee show. Um,
0: yes, and this
1: was, And this was back when the studio was through at KLIN. So he would come into our studios at 44th and O. And he would bring in beer every night. I mean, every night he would do. And he did every show. Um, so every, you know, I don't remember who it was Wednesdays or Tuesdays or whatever. And he'd always bring in beer all the time. He would bring in beer and usually go through half of it. And, it, it, you know, you knew it was a good week if he would share the beer with you. Um,
0: <laughs> you knew it was a bad week if he didn't share the beer with you. Um, well, what yeah, are we talking about? Like, did he bring it in like Bud Light? Did bring he would, it in- and it
1: would be different. It would
0: be different every okay. week. He would never this is it, before the explosion of beer really yes exactly I mean, but one so week it'd be Michelob. yeah it would be Michelob or bush
1: light or bud Did he light drinking or, hams
0: ever was he drinking ham's, I mean, hams
1: i never back? remember a hams i don't remember a hams um but he would he would bring this in and he was such a character and and you know off the air on the air he could be a character but off the air you know with his colorful language and I'll still never forget the night he brought in his, he brought in uh, a dog and this was towards the end of his run. And, and he had got a brand new dog and he brought it into the studio with him. And, and the question was asked, you know, Hey, do you have a new name for your dog? Well, there were rumors going around that he was going to leave Nebraska and go to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. And, and just the question was that, Hey coach, do you, you have a name for your dog yet? And he just right off the top of his tongue, Jersey. You know, and of course, it got people all fired up. because It's like, oh, Danny D, he's got one foot out the door. He's already leaving for New Jersey. And it's just like, but yeah, I got him to enter our NCAA tournament pool one year, um, you know, just by chance. Because I walked in, I was collecting money for our tournament pool because I was the guy running the tournament pool. And Danny's like, what's that? We're running a tournament pool. Give me one of those. And I gave him a blank. And then he peeled off, you know four or five very disgustingly crinkled one dollar bills and <laughs> so danny knee was in our pool and like an idiot i would post the scores this is back before the internet and back mm-hmm. before you know you did, you did all that stuff through espn so i was the guy I had to mark all the brackets and keep all the scores and like uh, an idiot i posted i posted the scores on the on the station bulletin board and they're in big red letters danny knee you know if someone had walked in from the ncaa and looked at uh, excuse me, Coach Nia's in your her, in her tournament pool. I could have gotten Nebraska basketball, you know, put on probation. Um, but I didn't think anything of it. Um, but yeah, those are some of the interactions. Um, I've been fortunate not to have too many, you know, really bad ones um, with coaches over the years. But uh, yeah, uh, that year with Bill Callahan was rather interesting, especially meeting all of those coaches like Phil Omation. Um, uh, John Blake, uh, that, the, that was a, that was a very interesting coaching staff. I'll just put it that way.
0: <laughs> do, do you want to expand on that?
1: Um, well, with John Blake, it felt like I was at a sermon, okay. um, cause the man, very, very religious. Um, but I could also see why he was such a great recruiter. Sure. I mean, I felt like I could play for the guy. Uh, he, he, he really could, you know, pump you up and lift you up. Phil O'Mation felt kind of sleazy to me. Um, I don't know why. Um, I'm not saying he was doing anything wrong or anything like that, but it's just kind of a... The vibe. The vibe was just very awkward. Yeah, very awkward. Um, I'm trying to think. I I always liked Kevin Cosgrove. I thought Cos was a a good person. Mm -hmm. Um, My stepson uh, actually played for Cos um, for one year when he was a walk-on. So he got to know him and, and, and thought he was a really decent guy. Um, but yeah. And then, and then of course there's Steve Peterson who he's obviously not a coach, but, uh, yeah, you talk about a used car salesman. Oof. i I'm uh, still that, not a fan.
0: That seems like good of a spot <laughs> to leave things as we can find here. John, I really appreciate your time. This was fantastic. I hope people, I hope people got some insight on what it's like to to do the play by play, and certainly some some sports talk as well. So we appreciate your time here with the Hey Coach It's Blank Pod. Hey,
1: I had a great time. Uh, awesome, uh, really appreciate it, and uh, and and good luck with this. This is this is a this is a cool concept because I think it helps it helps the the viewers or the listeners or the readers to kind of understand the people behind the stuff that they read or hear or see. Um, because, you know, I think sometimes we can just be seen as, you know, these faceless personalities and it's good to put the personality behind it. So I really appreciate what you're doing here. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea.
0: Thank you. I I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully future guests feel similar when they're done with theirs. And we're going (laughs) to, we're going to store that away. I'm going to show up the next time we do a show. I'm going to show up with like 50 Nebraska players from the last 50 years. And I'm just going to draw them out. And we're going to do an entire segment of you reacting. That's not a
1: bad idea. That's that not a that bad sounds idea.
0: like summer radio. Is what that oh, yeah.
1: Like. That's summer radio. And we are right in the middle of summer radio right now. Let me tell you.
0: All right, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Hey Coach, It's Blank Podcast. Brought to you by Podcast House Media. You can catch it everywhere. Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another episode.